Yes, it is, and welcome back this uh, Monday, March 21st, 2022. Now, usually on Tuesdays in our third hours, we have Hugh Hallman and Lewis Hallman uh, joining us to do uh, – we usually start on COVID and then uh, work outward from there. But uh, Mr. Hugh Hallman, the paterfamilias, is going to be on an extended uh, – Trip, So we wanted to get him before he left. So he joins us today and Lewis will join us tomorrow for the rebuttal. <laughs> Welcome to the uh, Welcome back to the show. Hugh Hallman, appropriate interview, former mayor of Tempe, attorney, uh, educator and um, and uh, just uh, just, uh, a, you know, a very, very involved community civic uh, activist. Good to have you in the studio again. It is always a pleasure to see you and to be here and to be Thanks. on these airwaves Uh Speaking, I hope, with folks who uh, have a similar worldview. And I am here this Monday because I will be back in the the region, capital T, capital R, uh, for an extended period of time. And uh, listen very closely to Brandon Weikert and your conversation about Ukraine. And that's, I thought, what we might yeah. continue to provide. Sure. Now, uh, we don't want to make it 24-7, 365 Ukraine because folks might get bored of it. In the same way, we try to touch on COVID just once a week. Uh, but in this instance, uh, I do think I bring a unique perspective. Uh, Brandon does as well, given his experience. My experience is I've actually spent time in that country called Ukraine, uh, and uh, have been following very closely what's going on, precisely because I have many friends and colleagues there, uh, having founded universities in that part of the world. And specifically, my work started in 1993, in January of 1993, in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Uh, The goal was to connect our students between universities in the United States and universities in Ukraine and Russia specifically. We had worked diligently. I had committed my time uh, to working for people like uh, Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan, had graduated from law school. And uh, during George Herbert Walker Bush's administration, we finally achieved the uh, objective of either having Russia liberalize or fall apart. And the latter occurred. Uh, And we didn't quite handle the end game in that one well either. Uh, and that's what I hoped we would talk about because yeah, I thought Brandon's too. insights are great. Uh, but I would like to add some lipstick to that sure, pig sure. that I help. Uh, I think helps uh, get some understanding. Uh, specifically, um, the work in Ukraine fell apart uh, over time because the Ukrainian government was seized of Russians and uh, was uh, quite corrupt and difficult. And the Russians really didn't want to support any kind of liberalization in Ukraine. The economy never uh, took off in Ukraine like it did in Kazakhstan. Uh, Russia, of course, returned to totalitarianism. You had Medved hold the spot open for Vlad uh, for uh, a little bit, and then Vlad got himself put back in. I remind people, if you really want to see the face of what we're dealing with in Russia today, take a look at the pictures when uh, Boris Yeltsin made Vladimir Putin his prime minister. And you see a diminutive fellow who had not, contrary to sort of the modern era, he was a KGB spy and all those good things. He was a low-level officer, not very successful. But he made his way into politics in a way that got himself positioned, then ultimately used the skills uh, that he had learned uh, in the KGB. Uh, They're spending significant amounts of time studying the human psyche and understanding uh, the weaknesses and abilities of one's opponent. And he has employed those very, very effectively. 
Um, I even a have huge to cautionary note. Sorry to break the train, if I might. Just a huge Please. asterisk. Um, a lowly officer, not very well known or not very well accomplished. Seems like the history of the world should be wary of those kinds of people. Yes, exactly right. Maybe if only he had also been an artist uh, but, at one time. But right, but a lot of them. About. I mean, a lot of the Middle East despots. Qaddafi uh, was of this. Uh, anyway, go on. No, that's correct. You've got people who feel as if they have not risen and gotten the respect that they deserved. Now uh, punching above their weight in the Bill Clinton esque. Uh, never had any friends, and so he had to become president. Now, Bill Clinton at least did not uh, do the kinds of damaging things that ultimately Barack Obama did, and that's a bizarre position to be in where one can laud Bill Clinton relative to uh, his successors on the Democratic side. Why do I say that? Because as the Soviet Union was collapsing at the very end of George Herbert Walker Bush's administration, uh, on December 16th, 1991, the last country out turned out the lights, and that was Kazakhstan. That was the third place I was doing work in 1993, and ultimately the place where the seeds were sown uh, best and the ground was more fertile and that has given rise to uh, great results. It's not a perfect place by any stretch. But to get there, we had to have the kind of government transition that George Herbert Walker Bush uh, countenanced and allowed and required take place so that Bill Clinton's team hit the ground running. And in specifically with respect to what we're dealing with today, we had the Soviet Union collapse and George Herbert Walker Bush putting his people on the ground immediately, working in both Ukraine and Kazakhstan specifically, uh, to uh, work out deals where both of those countries gave up their nuclear weapons. Last week, last Tuesday, we talked about how Ukraine had given up its nuclear weapons in exchange for recognition of its territorial integrity and its independence by not just the United States, not just Great Britain and uh, Northern Ireland, but by the, the former Soviet Republic, by the, the, Feder the Russian Federation. And that that set well, so of its name is on that document. That's the correct. Accords, right? Is that, that is correct. Mm -hmm. That is correct. Actually, it was the uh, ambassador, but it doesn't matter. It's his his uh, backing, and that was true for the U.S. and Great Britain. And so we have the Budapest Memorandum from 1994 uh, that gives rise to the Ukrainians giving up their nuclear weapons. Uh, and uh, in an agreement for territorial respect and integrity. Um, the Kazakhs did the same thing, actually a little earlier, and we have to give credit. It was George Herbert Walker Bush that the uh, New York Times loves to make fun of the fact that his senior people were in the banya, that is the bathhouse, with uh, uh, the president of, of Kazakhstan. That's how the stuff gets done. You have to build trust first, and in an ancient society where you have deep uh, need to create trust, to know who your friends are and who your enemies are, you go through all kinds of socialization processes, including getting into the banya uh, and soaking in the heat and being beat with uh, with uh, branches uh, from the trees, uh, and that's all part of the process. And that resulted in these res uh, these agreements between Kazakhstan and the U.S. and the Russian Federation, and the same for uh, Ukraine. And Bill Clinton's team picked that up seamlessly in the handoff, completed all that of that work, and it was the world order until his wife, uh, Hillary, and uh, her president, 
uh, Barack Obama decided to hit the reset button uh, almost immediately in 2009 to prove how wonderful they are and how worldview they are and uh, naive is what they really were. And they hit the reset button with Vladimir and uh, the Russian estate and ultimately demonstrated a level of weakness that we are still living with today because Brandon properly pointed out that for the Russian uh, mindset, it is strength or weakness, not good or bad, but strength or weakness. And when you put into perspective that we think in the West that Vladimir Putin is going to view himself as damaged by what's going on, you have to think about what the losses were in World War II. The Russians threw about 10.5 to 11 million soldiers into that maw and they died. Another 14 million Russian civilians died. Somewhere around 24 million people lost their lives in the effort in World War II to retain that border. Like 50 uh, times our losses. Something like we that. had four, uh, 412,000 people, uh, 416,000 with, I think, another 2,000 civilians. The British were at about 380,000 uh, troops and another 50 or 60, 70,000 civilians. So orders of magnitude different. The next largest group of losses were the Chinese with about 4 million losses in the war and somewhere around uh, – Reduced estimates are somewhere around 8 or 10 million. There are estimates as many as 50 million died. Now, of course, that was in the same way that Russia was murdering its own civilians to keep control of them. So while you're uh, in the 30s and 40s sending people off to the gulag because they weren't uh, following direct orders uh, uh, from Stalin, you had the same going on in China. And so the mess that was being created in China left millions of people dead without food, uh, water, other uh, very minimal resources to stay alive. And the same was true in, in Russia. Uh, so when you think about uh, beginning in the 30s and through the 40s, that somewhere around 25 percent of the population of Kazakhstan was murdered or starved to death and similar numbers for Ukraine. Those are staggering and for us to think that uh, tens of thousands of deaths in Russia's army is going to make a difference to a crazed uh, authoritarian is ludicrous. Let me so pick up now we have to figure out how to, where to go and what to do about it. All right. It. We'll talk about that when we come back happily, welcoming your calls to 602-508-0960. I'm Seth, and he is Hugh Hallman, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'll let Hugh Hallman guess who that is, uh, and we'll tell you the inside joke of that a little bit later. But uh, word uh, goes out to Midas Gold Group, sponsors of this show. Delighted to have them. Veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. I know these guys. I've been to their offices. I hold their product, and I love it. Not physically right now, but I have it, and it's in the other room, actually. But I love the folks at Midas Gold Group, and you will, too. One of the things they want to point out to you is getting everyone on digital currency should be of a concern, especially if you value your privacy and safety of your accounts. It's the ultimate power and control over you, and with the digital currency, they can easily extinguish the freedoms of anyone who disagrees with them, just as they did in Canada with the truckers. Gold and other precious precious metals add a layer of privacy and protection to your finances. Get private, get protected, get on the phone, and call Midas Gold Group. 480-360-3000, MidasGoldGroup.com, and tell them I sent you. Thank you for that uh, rendition of history. 
uh, with regard to what's going on with Russia and uh, its former Soviet satellites. You must have a special concern, too, about what's going on, given your affinity and work in uh, Kazakhstan, because if what we're saying about Putin is true and what he wants to put back together or reclaim as his own, uh, if Ukraine is the price uh, for peace, then I don't know why or or what would keep him from stopping just with Ukraine. There's nothing, it seems to me, that matches more perfectly the analogy we've been using since 1938. Not perfectly, but this one comes as close to perfect as possible, doesn't it? Well, I think uh, the good Dr. Weikert pointed out that he views properly that uh, Vlad was not going to stop with eastern Ukraine. And that was signaled to us, gave a little bit of voice to, about that in January when uh, Russia sent troops into Kazakhstan uh, in early January to help quell some unrest. What was going on was reported in the press in the West that we had peaceful protesters. What was not properly reported was that there was a coup attempt. And that coup attempt was wrapped up with the peaceful protests and our failure in Afghanistan. Uh, the failure in Afghanistan led uh, the U.S. quietly and secretly to start handing money to Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, I believe Tajikistan as well, to secure their borders against uh, terrorists coming out of Afghanistan. All of that was discussed in the Central Asian press and in speeches by the leaders there and made fun of by the New York Times and WAPO. Ha ha ha, aren't they cute? Uh, talking about terrorism and that sort of thing. And the fact that uh, President uh, Takayev, the president of Kazakhstan, uh, pushed the button to help get help from the uh, Collective Security Treaty Organization. That is effectively that Central Asian Russian organization that is the answer to NATO. It is a series of countries, Armenia, Georgia. Uh, Belarus, uh, Russia, Kazakhstan, etc., that were created to have security against an external force. And Takayev, President Takayev, said, we've got terrorists coming in from Afghanistan that are making havoc and causing us problems in our uh, uh, some of our cities, and we need help. Russia sent in troops. Vlad was delighted because he got to pound his chest over what a big guy he is and how big a player he is, notwithstanding the fact that it was the Armenians who sent in the troops, uh, uh, made the decision to send in troops. Uh, Russia did send in 2,000. But they left on January 19th after uh, Kazakhstan got recontrol and the current president kept his office and gave a speech on January 11th. Uh, eight days early, saying uh, that all of the CSTO troops will be gone by the 19th. I didn't know that that would happen. I didn't believe it would happen, but it did. That signaled to me that Vlad, in fact, was quite serious about what he was planning to do in Ukraine. Why is it different? Uh, I disagree with Brandon about the fact that, you know, what he's done in Georgia, what he's done in other places, just destroying uh, everything, destroying the furniture in order to take over the house. In this instance, it's different because uh, Ukrainians are Europeans, mm. and the oh, European community cares about that. The ethnic connections between Ukrainians and Northern Europeans and Germans is crucially important and a crucial difference. And cynically, I'm actually I, – I don't wish Ukraine ill, but I've been monitoring this situation about the Ukrainian and Kazakhstani border. Kazakhstan's border between Kazakhstan and Russia is the largest b lengthy border between any countries on the planet, several thousand miles. And that was the one I thought might get crossed first. And when the CSTO troops went in, I actually signaled to some of my folks that I do work with there, said, now we're in trouble. 
We've got a president who's under siege and we've now got Russian troops. And Blinken was correct. Our secretary of state was correct to say once you've got the bear in your bed, it's really tough to get it out. The fact that Vlad took his troops back out, they were the best troops he had. They performed very ably. That he took them back out suggested clearly that he understood that the Kazakhs, like the Ukrainians, wouldn't be all that thrilled about having Russian Russian troops back in their territory. They worked very diligently to get out of the Soviet Union, and Kazakhstan was much braver and played the game much more eloquently than the Ukrainian folks did. And sadly, after the, quote, revolution in 2014, which was the beginning when Russia then sent in Ukrainian troops, here we've got uh, the Ukrainians overthrow the Russian overlords, get rid of the puppet state, uh, have dual uh, elections in which they uh, get a duly elected president in June of 2014. But Russia rolled troops into Crimea in February of 14. I believe it was February 27, 2014. Why? Because Barack and Hillary set the reset button, told Vlad that they were most concerned about having a good relationship with Russia. Russia was making noises about the fact that it was actually a Georgian uh, who gave Crimea to Ukraine, uh, not a real Russian who understood that uh, uh, Crimea was Russian. Um, and uh, and so the Georgian gave up Crimea to Ukraine during Soviet times. What does it really matter where the lines are drawn? Uh, the same folks gave rise to what is now Kazakhstan's full borders that have been respected since the fall of the Soviet Union. All of that geopolitical game is going on, and the Russian ethnics are still ticked off. Yeah, sure. And it is an egotism that is based in cult leechnesty, the cult of the face, the cult of personality is what we call it, but in Russian it's the cult of the face. And that is what Vlad has built. And so you've got Russians who believe, because he's such a strong man, that he is right, and right uh, might makes right, and that is why they're backing that kind of thing. Internally, however, I believe we can be somewhat confident that there are, are internal forces that understand that the man has lost his moorings in the modern era. Does it mean that we're going to shame him into stopping this? No. I do believe that uh, Brandon is correct to worry about the cyber attacks that we might be subject to, potentially subject to limited nuclear force uh, use uh, in the area uh, or some kind of uh, destructive forces uh, over the northern Atlantic, other kinds of activities. All of those things have to do with the fact that we have got to stop being naive about the people we're dealing with. The Chinese mentality and the Russian mentality is different than the liberal West. And treating them like liberals from the West is a huge mistake. And maybe we can talk. Yeah, some I'd more like about to pick up on that back. when we come back. I'm Seth Liebson. He's Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman is my guest. His biography would take up the rest of the hour, but you know him as our regular here every Tuesday. We're just having him because he's leaving town. Once tomorrow. COVID, always COVID. Is that it? No. Um, I want to get to the issue of uh, the way our enemies view war and the way we do in a moment. You had set that up nicely before I do. There was an interesting article in the Washington Post with a little bit of history I was unaware of, uh, which it was the Washington Post trying to do, I think, a good column about Joe Biden and when he was vice president. Fighting um, for Yeah, fighting, fighting for, for javelins, Ukraine. fighting yeah. to get a lot, and not once and not twice, but many times – fighting within the administration 
to get Ukrainians armed, uh, Ukraine armed. And uh, the interesting thing of that story is I don't think they meant it. Maybe they did. I don't think they did. You read it, too. It was a pretty sad tale about Barack Obama, who was thwarting him at every turn and did not want to arm Ukrainians at any point. And, you know, there was evidently quite a fight, I guess a fight. Biden knew his place, but quite a fight between the Biden people and the Obama people. And obviously the chief executive won and he didn't arm them. Thus, we got this the talk, the the, the old stories about while 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 we sent them pillowcases under Obama, Trump, Trump sent them weaponry. But it it does seem to me two things. One is. Barack Obama's presidency ends up, in hindsight, looking much worse than so many people ever gave uh, gave it the description of or gave it discredit for. Really, I don't know a thing he made better. And the more we look at around the world, the more we look at our domestic things, I think Barack Obama did did do an awful lot of damage around the world in here. The other thing is that it seems to me administrations err when their only objective is not being the other guy not being the other guy, which was what Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama were trying to do. They had they saw the rough relationship outgoing W. Bush had with Vladimir Putin, and they wanted to show they could do better. So they went over in some respects, hat in hand, the reset button to be sure. I will never forgive the dismantling of the missile defense systems in um, in Poland and the Czech Republic, which happened to took them, our allies by surprise, all in an effort to appease uh, Putin. And then, of course, what happened with the red line that was crossed in Syria, where Barack Obama farmed out the Syria problem to Russia. I mean, all of these things are the wages, I think, of Barack Obama's presidency. You tell me if I'm overstating it. No, I think the Washington Post surprised me by that uh, article uh, in throwing Barack Obama under the bus. But I think that demonstrates how desperate they are to rehabilitate Joe Biden. Okay. Why do I say that? Because I think the most able person, and I, I know lots of people don't care for Henry Kissinger, but uh, on the death of Richard Nixon, uh, he was asked, uh, Kissinger was asked, uh, that he was the one who had structured the triangulation between the right. U.S., China, and Russia right. to create that friction between those two countries and open China to the U.S. And shouldn't he really take credit for that? And Henry Kissinger said, uh, I think brilliantly, and maybe maybe over understating it uh, so he'd get the credit, but ultimately, the president would have taken all of the blame for it, and therefore he deserves all the credit. Oh, good. Okay. And that was Henry Kissinger on, on Richard Nixon's death. The reality is here that you've got the Washington Post stringing out this narrative, but I don't happen to believe it. Oh. Because isn't it convenient that uh, that, <laughs> Interesting. that uh that Joe Biden now was the savior of Ukraine. He always was with the oh, Ukrainians. In fact he gave a brilliant speech to the Ukrainians in two thousand fifteen in their legislative body, talking about all the great things they should do after his administration with Barack Obama at the helm sold them out. They lost Crimea. Uh Joe shows up in June of 2014 for the president's inauguration, having helped them lose Crimea. They helped lose Crimea because they demonstrated weakness in 2009, 10, 11, and 12, and uh, 13 and 14, and so they shouldn't be surprised. And now for the Biden administration to have their cadre of folks at the Washington Post try to rehabilitate him by saying he was always standing you with, with wow. Ukraine. It's nice to have a weak friend standing next to you and do nothing. And in fact, arguably, that's the same problem we have now. He uh, he demonstrated weakness about Ukraine in the last summer and fall. 
that we would not spend treasure or human beings on Ukraine. That's not necessarily a bad policy. But don't be surprised then when the Russians take you seriously and decide to open up the place uh, and uh, blow it all up. Uh, He demonstrated that weakness when he pulled out of uh, Afghanistan. Remember, Afghanistan was blamed on Donald Trump. It was Donald Trump's fault that we screwed this up so badly. He's the one who set the time frame, except that uh, Joe Biden gave a speech and uh, wrote a long article in the summer of 2020 demonstrating that that's exactly what he would do. And this Washington Post article repeats it. He screwed up in Afghanistan, and we should not be surprised, showing weakness there in 2021, that the Russians would take us at our word. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Hugh Hallman is our guest. Um, I was talking a little bit about this last week, Hugh, towards the end of the last week, and you were giving voice to it a couple of segments ago, which is um, the fault that we sometimes find ourselves in or the error we sometimes find ourselves in by assuming other people see the world the way we do. Once upon a time, it was called Pan-Americanism. You can think of it any number of ways. Um, the easy shorthand version is the old Israeli defense minister, Moshe Ahrens, who once said Amer- um, uh, the Middle East is not the Middle West. And the point being they do view differently the value of life than we do. And when, for example, mutually assured destruction was the order of the day circa 1945 to, I don't know what, 1989 or 1990 or so, maybe still in a weird way it is, Ronald Reagan's idea was completely different based in part on that notion that, A, it's an insane policy that we would mutually agree to destroy ourselves, but also there will be actors on the stage that do not – have the same value on of life uh, that we do, don't place the same value on life that we do, thus uh, assuring their destruction may not be a deterrent to them. And in certain cases, particularly in the radical Islamist world, it may even be an enticement for God's sakes. This was the Bernard Lewis thesis. Unintended. Yeah, yeah, right. Unintended. Well, yes, maybe. Intended. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe it was intended. <laughs> but the point, the point being, uh, the point being, of course, these um, these early predictions of Ukraine's victory and Russia's embarrassment and loss, uh, I, I worry about. I worry about because I don't think they have the body bag syndrome. We do point one. Point two, another point I was trying to make with Brandon, is that if shame or embarrassment is the last thing Putin wants, I'm guessing the majority of the world is not watching the war the way we're watching it. I am betting that the enti- nearly the entirety of the Middle East and probably the largest parts of Asia are not seeing the the body count that Russia is taking, that Vladimir Putin is taking. I mean, the Chinese, the Russians, and certainly the Middle Eastern nations and many in Africa censor the news very hard in one direction, and they may not they may not be exposing the numbers of people that Putin is losing and willing to throw at the wall. Um, so I, I I worry that the worst is yet to come. Is my point? I think that's uh, reasonable to believe that. The reason I mentioned at the top of the show. The Russian body count in World War Two. Right. Right. You know, you've right. got 10 to 11 million soldiers thrown into that mess in contrast to half a million U.S. service personnel and 380,000 Brits. Maybe the French count, but they were all tied down in France, so they don't really count on that front. 
And so the Germans lost somewhere on the order. I think I've, I made a note to myself because I can never remember what the German count was, and I want to make sure I blame the Germans a little bit here too. Uh, the Germans lost five and a half million soldiers and another three million civilians, not counting those they just murdered outright. Uh, that's in sort of the war dead uh, as opposed to those they were putting to death. Combat fatalities. Uh, correct. And so that's the right way to put it. And so you think about that. 24 million Russians and 8.5 million Germans in contrast to 450, 460,000 uh, U.S., 383,000 uh, Brits. That's the difference. And while we are concerned with loss of any life in that battle, the Russians clearly just didn't care. In large part, they couldn't worry about caring because the corruption had created a very horrible uh, military uh, system in the same way it has continued to do so. So that Vladimir Putin could make it to Kiev or Kiev, if you prefer. Uh, I spent too much of my time in Russian-speaking countries using yeah, the Russian right. uh, the, with the Ukrainians uh, and the Kazakhs and the Russians. So I tend to default to that. I apologize to anybody who's offended. But Kharkov is Kharkov in Russian. And having spent time there and traveled from train by uh, from Kiev to Kharkov to, uh, to Moscow, it's quite an interesting eye-opener to see the lengths and distances and and the people and the villages and everything else that's there and understand that that mindset is just different. And our greatest weakness is that our leaders too often have not been exposed to other cultures in a critically thinking way. The left makes fun of people who try to distinguish among cultures, believing that they're all the same and they're all unique, except they're all other. we're all the same. And certainly we're not better than any. I mean, this of is a part not. of it. This is part and parcel of the problem. And now that has come to visit us because we have right. failed to understand right. the distinctions between the Chinese, underlying Chinese culture, which is collectivist for thousands of years, the Russian culture, which worships strong people, Catherine the Great and Vlad the Impaler and among others. And that that is the worship, that, that is the sense. And in contrast, our society, right or left, tends to appreciate the fact that individuals matter. Well, so and those cultures too. don't. Right, right. Those cultures do not celebrate the individual human being. And as a result, they are much more willing to sacrifice them. So is Vlad shocked? Are people in Russia shocked that they're now going to bomb Ukraine into oblivion? No. And the cost of the Ukraine's lives, uh, Ukrainian lives, and the destruction of history and the destruction of everything that is there, that Grozny would be leveled in order to take over the country is an example of that mindset, that they are truly going to destroy the village in order to save it. And Vlad believes that, that he's uh, saving Ukraine from the split from the Russian ethnic mass, that it was only mistakes. This is his article from July of last year, his mistakes in leadership that allowed the Ukrainians to become separated from their Russian brethren. And he's going to correct that if it means murdering all of them. The, you know, the conversation that so many of us feel so uncomfortable having, but it's out there now and it has to be discussed. Uh, the conversation we thought ended in the in the 80s when we were talking about nuclear weapon use, the use of nuclear weapons, is back in front of us. Your sense of just another 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 thought leader, your sense, do you think Vladimir Putin might consider it? Oh, absolutely. Okay. 
Absolutely, okay. because he has no. Uh, there are no limits. There are no constraints on he what he's seeking yeah. to to achieve, and the justification in using nuclear weapons to demonstrate Russia's strength and the recreation of the empire is absolutely within thinking. We'll be right back with some concluding thoughts. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Hugh Holman. Don't go away. Thank you for spending some of your afternoon with us, Hugh Holman. Thank you for being generous uh, with your time and uh, thoughts. The ethnic uh, line of thinking on this that you that you brought to us today, Hugh, hasn't been discussed very much by anyone, and, and, and I'm glad you brought it out. Ukrainians are – did you say they are Western? And Europeans. And, yeah, they're Europeans, and Russians are not. It dawns on me that there was an important book, maybe not read closely enough – uh, came out uh, slightly between the Bush administration and the – 1989. It came, would have come out in 1989, 1990 by Daniel Patrick Moynihan. It was called Pandemonium. It was not one of his more well-known books, but this was a man who understood world affairs very well, having been the ambassador to, the in, to India, having been the ambassador to the UN under Gerald Ford and, of course, Senate Foreign Relations and all that. And his point was, as the Berlin Wall was coming down as he was writing – that the conflicts we needed to get ready for were going to be ethnic and that one of the problems uh, of ethnic conflicts that we in the West were not prepared for, same problem that the Marxists were not prepared for, which is ethnicity was something we didn't think seriously about in this country, at least in ideology, at least in theory, that you know we were considering uh, – we considered ourselves a bit of a melting pot and you know the equality of all human beings was our, was our founding ethos. And the Marxists believed, as you pointed – out to it uh, in the collective and not individual characteristics or individual or even group dynamics. Everyone would have the kumbaya experience under Marxism regardless of what they brought to it, religion, ethnicity, you name it. It seems to me maybe we're playing this out just a little later than Moynihan prescribed and we better get used to understanding that the Middle East is not the Middle West and there is a very big difference between American values and Western values, which yes – are supreme over those that are retrograde, and the ignorance of that will be our peril. Fair enough? Chickens are coming home to roost for failing to understand the lessons and import of liberal thinking that we believe in and we think everyone else does. Yeah. They do not. That is the warning shot. Beautiful. Thank you, Hugh. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Hugh Hallman. Until tomorrow, God bless you all and class dismissed. <laughs>